Bibles. This morning, um, we're going to be in the book of Romans, and uh, we're still in Romans chapter 1. Um, I am not Usain Bolton this text, right? Anybody know who that is? The Olympic runner. I'm not, I'm not doing that with this text. I'm more like I'm snelling it. You know what I'm saying? We are, we are taking it piece by piece and thinking about, um, man, really trying to pick through each word, each phrase, each heartbeat that Paul had for us in the text. So if you have your Bibles, open to Romans 1, we'll start in verse 8. And today, if I, I'm not a big title guy, like I always think, you know, some preachers, they just come up with the coolest titles and like they're just good title preachers. And I'm like, mine always ends up being Romans 1 8. You know what I'm saying? Like, what clever can I come up with this week? And it always ends up being like Romans 1 8 through 15. So, but this week I, I did have a thought and phrase. And I I believe out of Romans 8 through 15, what we see is uh, we went through the first seven verses and we talked about Paul and his love for the gospel and how he'd never been. And he's he's working on the the later years of his ministry. He's been in ministry at this point. He's pushing 30 years of ministry right now when he's writing this letter. Like and he's writing from Corinth and he he. He's kind of towards the end, and he's summing up a lot of his beliefs. And he comes to this part in the letter, and I really, it just kept hitting my heart over and over that the things that Paul is saying in 8 through 15, we could really sum up as marks of a servant leader. And if you are taking notes this morning, you want to jot that down. This morning, we're going to talk about a few marks of a servant leader and their prayerful, passionate pursuits. So if you have your Bible and you're in Romans 1 8, Just bow your head with me while I pray and ask God to help me say what he would have me say. Father, you're the greatest of all time. And Lord, we declare that weekly, daily, that you're the greatest of all time. Lord, creation declares your glory. And your scripture says that if we don't cry out in worship, that if we don't respond appropriately to your greatness and your, your, your magnitude and your magnificence and your mesmerizing grace, that even rocks would cry out because you demand that kind of respect. You demand that kind of worship. Just your presence levels the greatest kings and generals, God. Your presence undoes our broken hearts and puts them back together for your glory. So my prayer this morning, God, is that you would open our eyes to see this text, open our ears to hear this text, open our hearts to receive from it, God. And I pray as we work through it that your grace and your power would flood us like a mighty rushing wind. In Jesus' name we said together, amen. I'm going to read through the text and then we're going to go back and just, and we're going to rock it. Let's go. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Notice that word again, gospel. It's an it's, it's a every phrase thing for Paul. I'm supposed to be reading. Let's go. Gospel of his son. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in 
Rome. Romans 8, verse 1. Let's start right there. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And I want to pick out this one word. I want to look at the word thank or thankfulness or gratitude. Paul was saying that his, like, he was gushing with gratitude towards God through Jesus because of the work he saw being done in the body. Paul, this is one of the first marks of a servant leader. It was a a grateful heart. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the moment, whatever they were walking through, he wasn't just kind of one of those guys that were like, what have you done for me lately, God? God, I'll serve you, and I'm okay with being shipwrecked, and I'm, you know, I, you know, I'll write this letter to the Romans, but what have you done for me lately, God? What, what have you done for me lately? How have you blessed me lately, God? That's not the kind of guy Paul was. He was, he was not an e. Point number two, I want you to hear this. He wasn't in need of constant miracle affirmation or confirmations from God. Mark 8.11, this is where Jesus says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, asking for a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, Jesus said, Why does this generation look for a sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them to go back on the boat to the other side. Listen, Paul is exemplifying something in this one word that we can unpack. That a servant leader, a true man or woman of God, someone that is following in obedience to Christ, isn't always seeking a sign. They aren't always asking God, what have you done for me lately? No, they are excited and gushing with gratitude when they see the gospel lived out in other people. That's when what we do here becomes important. That's when what we do here, what we do inside the context of these walls, when we see the gospel that has rescued us begin to rescue other and the gospel that's transformed us begin to transform others, that's when we're getting it. When if everything else around us is going to pot, but we have gratitude to God because we see his hand moving and working in other people's lives, that's when we've got the gospel. And you still won't get it, but you'll get it. You know what I'm saying? All right. He wasn't in need of constant miracles. He, he wasn't a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of guy. The spring of gratitude in his heart towards God came from seeing faith, seeing the faith that had rescued him rescue others. So hear this. The first mark of a servant leader is a heart that is satisfied with the growth and delight of other people in God. A servant leader is not distracted by preference or preference preferential circumstances their eyes and hearts are fixed on Jesus and they will not be deterred let me let you hear me read this the it would suffice to say that a servant leader is okay with not getting their way as long as they see people following in his way can I say that again can we just together just kind of chew on that a true servant leader someone who's really about the gospel and about Jesus, they're okay not getting their way as long as they see people following and falling in love with the way. You hear me? They're okay with setting themselves aside, setting their goals even sometimes or their ambitions aside so that others might know the glorious rescue and the glorious hope of Jesus Christ. They're okay with not getting their way. So I'm asking you this morning, those of you that serve and want to serve, because Scripture said this, that Jesus came into the world not to be served but to serve. So you are to be as Christ. And you're not, you don't come to this church. We don't come here together to be served. We don't come here to sit together and say, what have you done for me lately, church? We come here to serve. We come here to give. We come here to to, to pour into each other's lives, to wrestle through sin and struggle and grace and joy and blessing together so that we might be encouraged and bring others into the same journey, right? 
servant leader could simply be defined as a leader whose heart becomes full by seeing others embrace the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Does it still blow our minds when we see someone walk from death to life? And if it doesn't this morning, you're a believer. Maybe you've been sitting here five years, ten years. Maybe you've only been saved a year and a half, six months, whatever. And maybe time has just kind of worn down that sensitivity. Because believe it or not, (coughs) excuse me, believe it or not, that happens. (coughs) I'm sorry. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry, (coughs) y'all. Over time, in the Christian life, that whole singing and preaching thing sometimes just kills me. I'm sorry. There's not a huge break. I don't know if you noticed, but there's not a huge break between the two. Um, but sometimes in our Christian life, you're just a peach. I love you. That's my wife, everybody. And she's awesome. Okay. But I, I don't know if you've realized that, but often that happens. <clears throat> like we get saved and we get transformed and and man, we're, it's like we got to tell everybody and we want to bring everybody in. But then, like, it just happens. It happens in every, every avenue and area of our lives, whether it be a job or, or marriage or, I mean, you name it, having a kid. And, like, it's really, really cute the first time the kid spits up on you. But, like, 4.30 in the morning, spit number 745, you know, you're kind of like, this is not nearly as cute. It got in my mouth. You know what I'm saying? Like, like. That is often how serving God and serving the church, and, 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 and when I say the church, know that I, John, thank you. This is my discipleship pastor, our discipleship pastor. He's a peach as well. All right. Um, thank you, John. But that happens. We, we, we get calloused, and as time rolls on, we, we lose some of our sensitivity. We lose some of our some of our our joy and our excitement, oftentimes, and I'm not saying this for everybody, but I want the one to know, the, the calloused believer or the one who's been wounded by the church, because believe it or not, the church is probably one of the only organizations on the planet that for some reason seems like they love to kill their own. I know that might have stung, but it's true. So, so there, there may be some of us today that you're, you're walking on cloud nine, but some of you may be coming out of a church hurt that you don't understand. Some of you may be walking through a valley in some darkness and some, some spiritual dryness that you just you don't understand. Let me tell you, just pray and seek the Lord. Ask Him to restore to you the joy of His salvation, and He will do it. He'll do it. She said it. She said it earlier. You call Him, and He's going to answer. The mighty God of the universe. So listen, if you don't find yourself with the same gratitude that marks that servant leader that we see in Paul, that same grateful heart, that same heart of thankfulness that's just like, oh, you want to know Jesus? Let me tell you. Yeah. You know? Like if you don't find yourself springing to joy when other, people's, when other people join the fellowship of Christ, pray that God would soften your heart. Pray that God would heal your wounds. Maybe for a day or two, stop seeking his hand and just seek his face. Maybe come before him and say, God, I don't need anything from you. I just want to know you. God, I'm not asking you for one thing. I'm just asking to know you. I'm not asking for one benefit, one blessing. I'm just, I just want to see you. I want to know you. I want to see you high, seated on your throne, God, because I'm tired of being dry. And I'm not, I'm not crazy enough to believe that in, in, in a crowd this size, there's not men and women, boys and girls that are brokenhearted, sitting there dry and empty, and you just want to scream out loud during the songs of worship, God, help me. Listen, he hears your cry. He's sensitive to your cry, and he loves you. 
and he's coming for you. So let's, let's press on. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. This is a second mark. The first mark of a servant leader is one who, let, let me just read it to you again so I don't jack it up because I will. Servant leader is one whose heart becomes full by seeing others embrace the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The second mark of a servant leader in the body of Christ. The way that you can know a servant leader in the body of Christ. Paul uses the word spirit. He says, I work in my spirit. And he called it my spirit. But it's really interesting. If you go back to the Greek, that spirit that he used right there is pneuma, which is the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is saying, Mark number two, if you're writing this down, the second mark of a servant leader is not only somebody that explodes with gratitude when they see the gospel doing work in somebody's life, but another mark of a servant leader is someone who is totally dependent on not their own works, but the work of the Spirit. Did you hear that this morning? Paul is making a foundational point that we can't overlook. The Spirit is vital in Christian life, and we need to overcome our aversion to talking about the Spirit. There's often times that, that if we bring up the word Spirit, people are like, I have good friends that are like, hey, bro, watch the snakes, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't bring out the snakes. And I'm like, why, why is our... And, I mean, not only that, but it, there's this... Sometimes if we talk about the Holy Spirit or about the miracle-working power of the Holy Spirit, there's this tension inside of us like, whoa, we don't want to get, we don't want to get too charismatic. Well, why not? Like if you read Acts chapter 2, I love the way Francis Chan said it. He said, if you were to read the Bible without ever sitting in one church service, if you were just to read the Bible, what would be your view of God? Not your Pentecostal view, not your Baptist view, not your Methodist view, not your Presbyterian or your Episcopalian view or your, your Catholic view. What would, be, what would be your view of God if you just took the scriptures by themselves and read them and said, this is the truth? Well, you would believe that your God could part the sea. You believe that your God could open blind eyes and he could raise people from the dead. You would believe those things. But because we've been indoctrinated by a million different denominations, we have lost the reality of the Holy Spirit in the church. Make no mistake, we do none of this on our own effort. None of it. None of it. Our good deeds, our Christian service, our singing and our preaching. Like, listen, I am a moron. Can I just be honest with you? What happens up here through the context of the scripture, it can only be defined by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm not smart enough to come up with this stuff. It's his Holy Spirit working through us. And he does it all the time, and we don't even acknowledge it. You know how you'd be talking to a friend, and they'll be like, hey, I got, this, I got this coffee cup for you, and I put this verse on it, and I just felt like I wanted to give it to you. And the coffee cup was the verse that you had in your devotion that morning. Anybody ever had a situation like that? Or like, hey, I just felt led to text you this verse today, and you, ha you had it that morning in study. Anybody been there other than me? Can I see some hands? I feel like I'm on an island. All right. It's like, yeah, bro, I'm not raising my hand, but I'll shake my head. But see, the Spirit, the Spirit desires to work in every single one of us. He's living in us, flowing through us. But sometimes we're honestly, and let me just say, for my own life, I remember being a 16-year-old with my heart beating out of my chest, knowing that I was called to preach the gospel and to sing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was afraid to surrender to the Spirit because I believe what He said. 
Like, what, what if he calls me to give up all of my comforts and go live in a mud hut somewhere? Am I willing to follow that spirit? Not just the spirit that drops insane blessings on me that will just blow your mind. I'm going to write a book one day, right? Like, not just when the spirit does those things, but when the spirit says, hey, go talk to this coworker. Yeah, but share the gospel with this kid. Yeah, but what if I lose my job? What if you lose your job? And, and now this is where the conservative biblicists would come in and say, well, TJ, we've got to be wise. We've got to use wisdom. God wouldn't want us to lose our job. Well, John the Baptist was beheaded. And every disciple except John, every disciple was put to death in martyrdom. Don't tell me God might not want you to lose your job or allow you to walk through difficulty for his gospel's sake. Man, it's like Brussels sprouts. It's hard to swallow, but it's true and it's good for you, I promise. <laughs> Let's hit this. Let's move on. Because I don't want to get off the, the spirit just yet. I want you to see something. I want, I want, I want to kind of prop it up. And I don't need to prop it up. I can make those statements and they would stand alone because it's the word of God. But I want to I kind of put it in context of the rest of Scripture so you see that TJ's not just giving you his opinion, but it really is, this is kind of the framework that we're looking through the whole of Scripture. The Spirit is the driving force of the believer, the pneuma, the Spirit living in us. And this only happens if you're converted. But, but see, for this to happen, you have to have the Spirit to convert you. Listen, Titus 3, 5-7. through 7. He saved us not because of the works done by righteousness. You've heard me quote this a lot of times, but... But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the what? Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what he's saying, even your salvation, like, you didn't do it. You didn't take out your dead heart and put in a live heart. You didn't take out all of your sin on your own and lay it on the altar. And God was like, well, I guess I'll pick it up since you got rid of it. That's not what happened. The Holy Spirit did a miraculous work called regeneration in your heart and took your dead, filthy heart and replaced it with a live, beating heart called the pneuma, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to break something. It only happens by the Spirit. You've heard me say this a million times, and you'll hear me say this a million more. Not by our tithes, not by our service, not by our hard work, not by our rituals, not by our prayer times, not by our Sunday schools, not by all those things are good and profitable to us, but those are not the things that work regeneration in our hearts. It is a surrender to the Spirit of God. So the Spirit is essential for salvation. Number two, check this out. It's essential to Christian understanding. You say, well, how do we get that? How do we unpack this? This thing seems very overwhelming. If you're anything like me, you've looked at this sometime and just been like, you know, like, it's hard sometimes to read. It's hard to dig in. It's hard to understand. But check this out. That's why we are dependent on the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Listen to this. The spiritual person judges all things, but in himself to be judged by one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so to instruct them? But we 
have the mind of Christ. That's how he ends that phrase. The Holy Spirit is essential for conversion. If you ever hear a conversion story minus the Holy Spirit, you haven't heard a conversion story. If you've heard a conversion story because somebody said they were converted when they were baptized and their baptism converted them, you haven't heard a conversion story. Based on the scripture of God, based on his precious word, we've only been converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And number two, so it's essential for conversion. It's essential for Christian understanding, for us to know and see and to walk out the things that he's planted in Scripture. It is essential that we cling to the Word. Number three, the Spirit is essential for sanctification. That's one of those big church words we like to throw around. It sounds really fancy, but this is what it means, walking it out. Sanctification is when God allows us to walk out our faith. When we fall, he picks us back up again. He sanctifies us. He pulls us away. He sets us apart from our old sin and our own self. And he sets us in him, like we talked about in the book of John, where he said, abide in me. That word abide means in the Greek to make your home in. So what we do when he sets us apart and sanctifies us, he puts our home in him. So over the course of our life, we look less like the world, less like our old self, and more like Christ. So here's my, here's my plea with you this morning. If you have been a follower for 10 or 15 or 20 years and there's been no internal change or external change, I would question your conversion. And you should question your conversion. Now, I'm not saying if you fall and stumble and make mistakes. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you might have prayed some prayer, you just said, yeah, sure, I'll be a Christian. And there's been no internal change. There's been no external change. There's been no fruit of the Spirit. Like, I don't, we don't want to get it wrong on that point. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we want to get it right on one thing, we want to get it right that the Spirit has converted us and we are following after Him. Because once he converts you through the Spirit, then gives you understanding through the Spirit, then he begins to sanctify you through the Spirit. That means he begins to help you walk out the Christian life. Because if you read, Paul says it great. We don't walk as those who walk after the Spirit, and we aren't gratified in the things of the Spirit. No, we walk, well, I mean, we don't walk after the flesh, and we aren't gratified by things in the flesh. We walk after the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Like, he lists all these things out, and we could say it in different ways, but all of that comes through the power of the Spirit. So I don't want you to be afraid of the Spirit this morning. If you hear somebody say, Holy Spirit, or I'm pray the Holy Spirit invades your life, or anything like that, man, just receive it. Just be like, yeah, Holy Spirit, come on, I need you. All right? So it's essential for salvation, it's essential and conversion, it's essential for, essential for understanding, it's essential for sanctification, and it's essential for perseverance. 2 Corinthians 1.22, you say, well, how do I make it? How do we know that we're going to make it to the end? 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, and who, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. When you're converted, he helps you understand, he begins to sanctify you, and he seals you until the day of redemption. And when he seals you, listen to this, you cannot pluck yourself out of the hand of God. You say, well, I, I could unsave myself, I can run hard enough, I could run far enough. Is that how weak God is in your mind? Do you genuinely believe that God is so powerful and so mighty that he would spend his time to convert you and to care for you and lavish love and grace on you and then he would allow a futile, infallible human to undo his work? I'll just let you wrestle with that question. 
Because I believe he saves those who he wants to save and he keeps those that he saves. You say, TJ, you have any evidence? You have any proof? I have one story and I'll share with you. I might share with you before. My, um, my uncle was a backslid preacher. He preached in Times Square, New York, right? I mean, he was like, he was a pretty radical guy. And he backslid. Backslid, right? And he, he, he uh, let, let me unpack that for you. He was wounded by the church. He was brokenhearted, and the church kind of kicked him to the side. I know none of us have ever experienced that, right? But that happened. And he spent 12 to 15 years out of the church. Never came to church. Because I want you to understand, church doesn't equal Christianity. This context. It's easy to come here and paint a pretty face and be lost as last year's Easter egg, right? Like it, it just is. He was, he was gone from the established church for like 12 to 15 years. And um, one Sunday I was preaching in my grandfather's church. I, started, I think it was my junior year in high school, and I was preaching on a Sunday morning. And he came in the back door. He walked down the aisle. He knelt at the altar. He, he, said, he, he did a little business with God. He stood up. And he gave me a hug, and he left. And, uh, and two weeks later, he was killed by a drunk driver on um, coming home. And I thought... And you say, TJ, man, that's, kind of, that's, that's really sad. Why are you going to tell that to us this morning? Because it's a reminder that, that even in his, quote-unquote, backslidden state, God was still drawing him back. Because God hadn't lost his. God's not going to give up his sons and daughters. When you're adopted, he doesn't unadopt you. I, I want to nail that point home. You can't be undone out of the hand of God. You can't be undone. And if you have a problem with that, or if, listen, and I want you to know, Guys, we're a faith family. So if you ever have a question or ever disagree with me, send me an email. Shoot me an email. I'd love to talk about it. So hear this. A servant leader is one whose heart is made full by seeing others embrace the glory of God and the personal work of Jesus Christ, but also someone who is surrendered to the Spirit of God. This morning I want you to ask yourself, are you, is your joy made full when you see other people come alive in Christ? Number two, are you surrendered to the Spirit of God? God, if you, where you say, go, I'll go. What you say, say, I'll say. What you say, do, I'll do. Have you surrendered to the Spirit of God? Now, when I, hit, I want to hit the third thing with you. And we're going to wrap up. Romans 1, 9. Through 10. Let's read this. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayer, asking that somehow, by God's will, I succeed to coming to you. There's three things. Number one, you heard it, that you're full of joy when you see other people repent, other people encouraged by the gospel. Number two, that you're surrendered to the Spirit. Number three, that you're given to prayer, that you're a man or woman. A mark of a servant leader is not someone that, that has that mentality, God, what have you done for me lately, but someone who is conditioned in prayer. Hear this. Prayer is the powerhouse of the persistent believer. Why pray? In prayer, we are minimized, I'm sorry, and Christ is magnified. Since believers pray in the Spirit, just like Paul was teaching, then prayer is cooperation between God and the believer in that it is presented to the Father in the name of the Son through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You see how that works in the Trinity? Like how God is magnified and God is lifted up and God is exalted in our prayer life. What we're doing, we, when we pray, when we seek God, Paul's saying, I have mention you every day. Daily I mention you in my prayers. I'm persistent at the throne of God in prayer. Well, what does that do for us as a believer? Servant leaders in the room. If you want to be a servant, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to learn to be a servant here. 
And that means that, that we have to become full of joy when we see other people convert. That means that we have to be surrendered to the Spirit. And that, that also means that we have to be men and women of prayer. Because when we pray, we say, God, less of me. More of you, God. Less of me and more of you. Let's move on. We'll jump to 11 and 12. Romans 1, 11 says, For I long to see you that may, I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. I, I want you to see this word picture before we wrap up. <clears throat> I'll go on and read 12 too. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Check this out. The word he used, impart there. Paul says, I want to come to you because I want to impart to you some spiritual gifts. That picture there is a store. A storehouse. A storehouse opening up and flooding all of its benefits on the people in the storehouse. So this is what Paul was saying. He said, I want to I be with you. I want to I walk through this faith walk with you. I want to pour my life out on you because the benefits and the giftings that God has put down in my life, I want to impart them to you. I want to pour out prayer. I want to pour out obedience. I want to pour out what it's like to walk after the Spirit and to be surrendered to the Spirit and, and all other things in spiritual gifts. Paul was saying, I want to impart to you whatever the Lord will allow me to impart to you. Let me ask you this, servant leader. Are you surrounding yourselves with men and women who are like that? Do they, when you spend time together, and this is a question I, I want to ask, and this is a difficult question, and we're, this is the highest of note to end on this morning, but I honestly don't care because I want us to be grown men and women of Christ and not little boys and girls sitting in the sandbox playing with our theology, okay? Do you sit with men and women? Do you link arms with brothers and sisters in Christ who are led by the Spirit and who desire to impart into your life the things that God has taught them? Or do you spend your time around people who love to gossip, who love to criticize, and who love to tear down? I want to ask you that. There's no negativity in the kingdom of God. There's no gossip in the kingdom of God. So, so, I'm, so I'm asking you a question. Are you surrounding yourself with men and women who, when you're with them, they're, they're like Paul says, you're imparting because he makes a very important point. He says, so that I may be strengthened by you and you by me. Paul was looking, the greatest apostle, in my opinion, the greatest church planner of all time, the greatest, really the greatest, I mean my favorite, he's my favorite out of all the texts because he suffered like crazy and still had so much joy. Paul looked to the church and said, hey, I, I need what you have and you need what I have. You've been through struggles. You've walked through things. You've seen God move in miraculous ways, and I need that poured into my life. I've seen God move. I've been through struggles. I've seen God flex in times that I thought God wouldn't flex, and you need that. So I'm asking you, the mark of a servant leader, and you can identify yourself and those around you that you're linking your life with. Are you linked with people? Are you desiring to be this for people? Let me just put it like that. Are you desiring to be this kind of man or woman, one that is led by the Spirit, one that is full of joy when people come to know Christ? And number two, someone that is given to prayer. And very last, someone that's willing to pour out their life to others rather than their preferences, rather than gossip or negativity. Or frustration. I want to be a servant leader. 
Nine times out of ten, like I said earlier, I'm a moron, right? I make bad choices. I say dumb stuff. That's just, I mean, but I desire to be a servant leader. I want my life to be defined by Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit. I want to be a man given to prayer, and I want that for you. I don't want to be a church or a faith family or a group of people that 20 years from now we look back and we say, man, we just sat in the sandbox and we played with our toys and we kept our stuff the way we liked it and we protected our little sandcastle. No, I want to be a, in a body of believers in a church that says, I've spent myself so that you could see Christ more clear and you've spent yourself so that I could see Christ more clear and we've all spent ourselves so that all of those on the south side and the north side and the east side and the west side could know Jesus the way that we know Jesus that they could know the rescue that we've experienced. That is the point of what we do. Amen? Amen? That's the heart of a servant leader. I want that to be your heart, and I desperately desire it to be mine. Let's pray together, and we're going to have a time of response. Father God, we said it earlier. You're the greatest of all time, and I could just say that over and over and over and over again because you are. You're the greatest of all time. So I pray today, God, as we take this, this, just this time of invitation, time of response, Lord, I pray that you allow us to make decisions, that you allow us to draw lines in the sand through, only by your grace, obviously, only by your mercy, but allow us to make a stand today to be men and women who, who are going to rejoice when others come to know you. We're men and women who who are going to be led by your spirit. We're going to be men and women given to prayer. And we're going to be men and women who, who let our lives be the light of the gospel and surround ourselves with men and women who are letting their light be, lives be light for the gospel, Lord. Help us decrease as you increase. In Jesus' name, amen.